But really, you want to create an environment where people think this is meaningful and this is worthy of my time and this is something that brings me satisfaction that goes beyond just getting paid. When people feel that way, then, then they want to work. Hi, I'm Julie Hyde, and I'm passionate about inspiring leaders to step up and lead and be powerful role models for those around them. My guests are all doing just that, and I ask them to share how they are making it count and how they have created their success. I can't wait to share their amazing stories with you. Brian Hartzer is an experienced financial services professional and the former CEO of Westpac. He is a veteran of New York-based banking strategy firm, First Manhattan Consulting Group, and has held senior roles at ANZ and the Royal Bank of Scotland. He has recently published his first book, The Leadership Star, A Practical Guide to Building Engagement. This is a really honest and insightful chat with Brian about the power of considered and intentional leadership and how a solid foundation to leadership focused on the things that really matter can make a huge difference, not only for those around you, but for you as a leader. So sit back and enjoy my chat with Brian. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure and I'm really excited to get into this chat with you and talk about the leadership star. First, I would love it if you could please share a bit of a snapshot of your journey to where you have landed today for our listeners. Sure. Well, your listeners will tell that I wasn't born in Australia. I was born in New York. And uh, after university, I spent 10 years as a management consultant working for a company that specialized in banking. And as part of that, in the mid-90s, I was sent to Australia on a project and um, kind of never left, although that's that's not strictly true. I spent three years here doing projects for ANZ in Melbourne. And then I went back to the US for a couple of years, did a bit more consulting in San Francisco around the time that the internet was taking off. So it was a fun time to be there. Then I married my first wife, who's Australian, and we moved back to Melbourne. And I ended up working for ANZ as an executive for 10 years. I ran the credit card business, then I ran the retail bank, and then I was put in charge of the Australian business, essentially the retail and commercial banking arms of ANZ. And then after the financial crisis, I was recruited to go to London to work for the Royal Bank of Scotland, which was one of the biggest bank failures in history, and I was part of the cleanup team there. Mm -hmm. So that was a really interesting, informative period for me. Unfortunately, my marriage broke up during that time. Um, I got remarried to a lovely British woman, and uh, but my kids had come back to Australia, so I was keen to get back, and I was offered a job at Westpac in Sydney, so I moved back in 2012, and in 2015, was given the great honor of becoming CEO of Westpac, uh, which I did for just under five years, and then we had a big regulatory issue, and as part of that, I was essentially the fall guy, and... Uh, uh, along with the chairman and one of the other directors I left at in late 2019. Yeah, that's you in a nutshell. So lots of um, moving around and um, lots of posting sort of worldwide, which would have given you some incredible experience, especially being cleaning up after the GFC at the Royal Bank of Scotland. So that would have been quite an experience. Yeah, you learn more from when things don't go well, I find, than when things do. And certainly if you want to know about running a bank, going into a bank that's failed is a is a pretty quick way to get educated on, yeah. uh, on the things that really matter. 
Yeah, absolutely. I can only imagine. And you've obviously written your book now called The Leadership Star, which is yeah. very focused about building engagement. And yes. I'd love to tap into that a little bit because engagement is obviously something that every organisation strives for. The, the Gallup State of the Workplace report is telling us that only 15% of employees are actively engaged worldwide. Yeah, it's but a real shame. It's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's such a shame. And I know that a lot of organisations put, you know, a lot of blood, sweat and tears into that. So can you define engagement for us and, and why is it such a challenge, do you think? Well, for me, engagement really, I don't get too caught up in the scientific definitions of it. It is really about people being emotionally committed to the organization that they're working for and really feeling good about being there, wanting to make a difference, wanting to put in their extra effort to help the organization be successful. That's, that's mm -hmm. essentially what, what I think about. You do measure that in various scientific ways. Gallup has their approach. There are other companies that essentially give people surveys and look at the outcomes of the responses to certain questions in order to measure that. And I find that useful as, as a benchmark, as a way to track it. But to me, the essence of it is, do the people really want to be there? Do they feel emotionally connected to the company? Do they give extra effort? That's really what you're after. And from my standpoint, when I was learning to lead people, I, I don't have an MBA, so I had to figure it out along the way. And it, it seemed fairly obvious to me that in an industry where talented people are sometimes in short supply, if you can create an environment where the best people want to work and you can enable them to do their best work, then you're likely to outperform. And, and that basic insight led me to the idea that focusing on engagement and how you can create engagement as an individual leader was something that was um, worthy of my time and, and an important lever for making a difference in the organizations that I ran. Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you said there, um, particularly around enabling people to do their best work. And yeah, which then, of course, you know, leads them to putting in that extra effort. And I'm finding that that is one of the biggest challenges that leaders are facing today, which is getting that extra effort out of people. This is after yes. the um, pandemic and people are actually feeling quite exhausted still from the effects yes. of the so yes. It's a big challenge. Yeah, well, for me, uh, one of the best things that my father ever said to me was that if you love what you do, then it isn't work. And I think in some ways, the essence of this is about helping people see that, that what they're doing isn't a job that they show up and do tasks and get paid for. That's obviously yeah. an element of it. But really, you want to create an environment where people think this is meaningful and this is worthy of my time and this is something that brings me satisfaction that goes beyond just getting paid. And I think when people feel that way, then then they want to work and they want to put their time in and they want to put the extra effort in because they, they feel that they're getting something meaningful out of it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the leadership star and it's a practical guide to engagement, which, which is what I love because... I love things that are very pragmatic and reading yeah. about something that I can implement immediately. So can you share with our listeners a little bit about the five points that you share in the book? 
Sure. Well, the first thing I think I should say is I tried to write this as the book I wish I had had 20 years ago mm. when I was first starting out to lead people. As I mentioned earlier, I don't have an MBA. So uh, I suddenly found myself, I had a boss who took a huge risk on me and gave me a business with a thousand people to run. And, um, and I really didn't know what I was doing. So I did a lot of reading and I did a lot of thinking and um, made a lot of mistakes and started paying attention to this topic and really trying to learn from the people who were good at it and the, the companies that I could learn from. And ultimately, I found a number of things that seemed to me to make a big difference. My businesses started doing well. Engagement started going up quite dramatically. And I was asked to share what I was doing with other colleagues in other parts of the business. And at that point, I sat down one day and made a big list and tried to boil it all down into what have I learned. And it, I ended up with these five things that you yeah. referred to. So that's where the book came from, is it was me for myself trying to figure this out and finding things that did work and then having to communicate them to people in a way that they could remember. And so um, you mentioned liking things that are pragmatic. For me, I've read zillions of business books and often I forget them by the time I finished. So it's, it felt to me like if I was going to communicate these ideas, I needed to do it in a way that people could remember it. And yeah. so the reason it's called the leadership star is there's five points. And I thought, right, five points, five points of a star. I'll call it the leadership star. That's where it came from. And I had, it, as it worked out, all the five things started with C. And so essentially my, my goal here is that if people can just remember the five C's, they can carry that around in their head. And when they're trying to think about, am I doing the things I should be doing, they can just give themselves a little checklist against those five things. There's a lot, hopefully there's a lot more nuance in the book than that. But anyway, sorry, that was a bit of a ramble, but I thought I'd just set up where this comes from and, and what I'm trying to achieve with this. So the five C's start with care. And the idea of care here is that it's about caring about people as individual human beings and caring about outcomes, not just having this generic notion that, sure, of course, I care about my people. And I try to make the point that care is an action verb. You've got to actually take steps to demonstrate that care rather than just um, having it as this state of mind. So that's the first one. And I think that is the foundation of all engagement is if people feel like you think they matter, that's a pretty important first step. Yeah. The second C is context. And that's really about the why, helping people understand why the organization exists, why it contributes in a way beyond just making money, and why what they do all day links to that broader purpose. So people want to see that what they're doing is meaningful and important. Hopefully that meaning lines up with things that are important to them personally. And so they can see how their contribution sits in the context of what the organization is trying to do overall and why it exists. Yeah. Then the third C is clarity. And that's about making sure people know what their role is making sure people know what their goals are, what good looks like, what great looks like, and making sure they understand what behavior is expected. So again, that sounds really obvious, but in my experience, a lot of managers make assumptions about those things and don't take the time to be really, really clear with people about what they expect. So people know what it is they need to do to be successful. And the next C I call clearing the way, and this is about removing the barriers to people's success. So once people know it's expected of them, they may come up against various barriers. And those barriers could be physical lack of tools. It could be intellectual things. They don't have the training. 
It could be emotional issues. There may be relationship issues within the team or political barriers within the company. And it's the job of the leader to be actively taking an interest in what are the things that are getting in the way of people's success and what can I as the leader do to knock those barriers over. Mm. And then the fifth C is celebrate, which is about recognition. And the subtlety here is, well, the goal here is to create a positive spiral so that people feel what they're doing is meaningful. They know it's expected of them. They're able to achieve it. And when they do achieve it, they get recognized for that achievement. And it creates this desire to keep going. And mm -hmm. the subtlety about um, recognition is that it's a lot more than just pay and promotions, which is what most people think about when you say recognition. And it's the fact that actually recognition needs to happen at all levels. You need to create a culture of recognition within an organization. People get as much from being recognized by their peers as they do necessarily by being recognized by their boss, informal recognition as well as formal recognition and so forth. And so it's really about getting people to think creatively about the ways in which you can help reinforce uh, the achievements that people people make. Yeah. So that's those are the five C's. I, in the book goes on a bit more to talk about the importance of communication. Mm. There's a chapter in there about uh, you as a leader and the importance of authenticity and how you go about building that and demonstrating that. There's a chapter about crisis management. Uh, but essentially, the, the the core of the book is those five five C's. And and my experience is that if you organize yourself as a leader around making sure you do all five of those things and you relentlessly go back and check whether you're actually doing those things, um, you almost inevitably see a significant increase in engagement. And in my experience, that is um, necessary, but not sufficient to uh, delivering great performance as well. I, I absolutely love all of those points. And you said before that this might seem obvious, but in my experience and dealing with leaders in, in large organizations, but also in small business, it's not necessarily obvious. A lot of people don't necessarily understand the foundations or the fundamentals to really yeah. engaging their people and yeah. a structure in terms of how to do that. And I love that you start with caring about people individually. Yeah, that's that's the important subtlety. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, lots of people have this generic, I, I have this stunt that I do when I teach this as a course. Um, I used to give this as a lecture to managers in the companies I ran. And I would, at that point in time, I would say, how many of you people, uh, how many of you care about your people? And inevitably everyone in the, in the room would stick their hand up. So you'd have a hundred hands up in the room. And then I would say, well, that's great. That's a, that's a terrific starting point. Now, just out of curiosity, if you weren't here, but instead I had all of your people in the room and I asked them, does your manager care about you? How many hands do you think would go up? And inevitably, there's a bit of a chuckle and maybe about two thirds of the hand go up and then a few more go up. And I say, well, gee, isn't that interesting? <laughs> because you're actually being honest here. Now, why is that? Because you've said you care about your people and I believe you, mm. but they don't see that. Why is it? Well, it's because care is an action verb and that people need to experience it, that, that you're actually interested in them as an individual. Certainly when I first came to leadership, you, you sit there with this enormous list of competing demands mm. and trying to think about, well, where do I start? And I certainly felt that. And I, that's why I have found, and I, although I talked about this as the book I wish I'd had 20 years ago, I continued to use it all through my time up to and including as CEO of checking myself of, well, have I actually done these things? Yeah. And, and it, and I think having some sort of structure 
as simple as it is that you can go back to, it's a really important way to make sure you don't miss something really essential. Yeah, I totally agree. And like you say, like these competing demands and obviously we have to deliver a really strong performance and in your situation, you've got, you know, you've got to deliver to the board and you've got shareholders and there's so many things going on. But people don't understand or don't necessarily understand that leadership can be relatively simple in terms of structure. Like there's, there's nothing necessarily hard in what you're saying here. No, um, it is no. an absolute challenge and you need discipline and conviction to do it. But these are the things that make the biggest, biggest difference. And I think sometimes people are looking for that silver bullet, the golden egg that's going to, you know, make the difference. But it, it, in my belief, it doesn't exist. And it's doing the simple things that make the biggest difference to your outcomes. I think that's right. I, I think of myself um, uh, as a little chaotic in my brain. I, I'm interested in lots of things. I get pulled in lots of different directions. And the way that I've learned to deal with that is by imposing some structure on myself. And, yeah. and um, because I know that if I'm left to my own devices, I'll ramble around and do what I think is interesting um, instead of the things I need to do. And I found that mm. I was able to use this structure to embed certain activities in my schedule over the course of a year, which meant that I could be reasonably reliant that I was going to do the things that I needed to do. It didn't mean I had to schedule every minute of every day, but it meant that I could make sure that on a regular basis, I was checking in with my team. And on a regular basis, I was making sure that we had a discussion about specific goals and what good looked like and what great looked like. And I could ask myself, well, when's the last time I went and asked people what was getting in the way of their success and, and mm. so on. And, and so I just found that having a little bit of structure like that to impose on myself made an enormous difference in my effectiveness. And now for a quick break. If you were listening to this podcast, then you understand how important leadership is to your success. And that starts with you. How you lead yourself will impact the performance of your business, your team, and your career. That is why we developed the Role Model Effect program. This program is designed for those who want to sharpen their leadership tools and be a leader that people want to work with. It's seven weeks, a value-packed and laser-focused course spent on crafting your leadership for success. You will walk away with absolute clarity on what you need to do to be a successful leader. The results our participants are achieving speak for themselves. So, if you understand that leadership is the key to your success, contact Julie to find out more juliehyde.com.au and you touched on before that you have a chapter in here about engagement in times of crisis and we've just well we're still in the midst of one but we're sort of emerging out the other side in Australia and um, I think people would have loved to have had this book in their hand last year um, early last year. So what do you think is critical for leaders during the times, you know, where our whole world was pretty much turned upside down and importantly after that? Well, number one, I think it, it, maybe it's an unfortunate thing to say, but laying the groundwork is really important. Um, I, I think that if you're going to navigate a crisis well, you by establishing the groundwork in an organization of demonstrating care, giving people context, giving people clarity, when the crisis does come, people have something fundamental to, to hold on to, um, particularly around, okay, I know that my boss cares about me. I know that uh, I know why we're here. I know that what we're doing is important and we need to find a way to, to keep that going. 
So I think I wouldn't underestimate that. I think in addition, planning ahead for crisis. So in a big bank, we would have crisis management exercises on a regular basis. We would come up with scenarios and we would literally role play them out. What what would happen? We would have people walking into a room saying, this just happened. And now we have to decide what we what we need to do. So you, inevitably, the, the crisis that comes is one you haven't thought of. But but if you get practiced at, okay, how do we, what are all the things we need to think about? Have we got reference sheets we can look at of the things we need to remember? Or do we have the contact list of the people we need to contact? I know it sounds a bit pedantic, but that sort of stuff really makes a big difference. Um, I think the second thing is, the, when you go through crisis, I, I find the Maslow's hierarchy a useful way to think about people's psychology. So when things are going well, people are interested in fulfillment, they're interested in how they can contribute more broadly, all these sorts of things. When you go into a crisis, they fall down the Maslow's hierarchy and they start worrying more about security and safety and things like that. And so the focus as a leader, you need to recognize that what people are worried about is shifting and, and, to, and to address that. I remember um, we, obviously in Australia, we deal with lots of natural disasters. And I remember years ago, there was a giant um, hurricane that hit Northern Queensland. And um, the thing that the people in our branches needed more than anything was dry towels because everything was so, everything. And, and so the, the leader and the, the regional manager literally filled a car pretty much with towels and drove several hours to get there to help them just dry off. And, and that little gesture made all the difference to them feeling cared about and supported. You know, it's so simple, but that in that moment was what really mattered. So it's that ability to understand what really matters in the moment. And then I think more broadly, it's it's the obvious things about communication, reinforcing, um, so that you don't feel like everything we said in the past doesn't matter anymore. We're no longer interested in you as a person. We're no longer interested in our broader contribution to society. Forget all that. You, you know, sometimes companies can seem to lurch to the other extreme. And I think if you can anchor what you're doing in the fundamentals, but then also say to people, obviously we're in a new context now, we're gonna to have to make some tough decisions. I think people are more likely to be able to cope with that and, and help through it. And then I think um, in terms of where to from there, I, I think if you just keep reinforcing those points about context and care and continue to be straight with people about rebuilding and keeping them focused, you can come out of a crisis stronger than you went into it. Yeah, really good points. And I'm I'm hearing that there needs to be a lot of transparency in communication and also that leaders need to be agile in terms of their thinking. I like what you said, being really, I suppose, conscious of what matters in the moment for those they're leading. Well, I'm a big fan of certainly telling it straight. And sometimes you don't know all the answers. So you say, here's what I know, here's what I don't know. Um, here's how we're going to make decisions. Here's when we will know, or here's, here's how we'll keep you posted. So I think mm. being, being really straight with people um, is important because you're trying to build trust so that they will believe you. And if you spin things, and there can be a lot of people in an organization 
as a crisis develops, you often don't know how bad it's going to be. And so there's a, mm. there can be a temptation to people to spin things early on in a situation. And then if it turns out to be worse than you said, well, then you've lost trust with people. So I'm a big fan of, of just being straight with people. Um, secondly, being empathetic. So recognizing, hey, guys, I know this is hard. I know this is terrible. I know that you're dealing with a difficult situation. I know that many of you are stuck at home and you can't get this. And, you know, hey, I get it. You know, I think just people seeing that you genuinely understand what they're going through so they're not alone. And then I think the, mm. the third thing that I found to be really helpful is giving people some sense of control. There's a lot of the anxiety, a lot of the, the difficulty that, that organizations face when they go through a crisis is about uncertainty. Yeah. And, and the fear of the unknown. Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to be okay? Is my family going to be okay? Um, what's this all going to mean? Is my job going to change? And so on. And if you can find ways to give people back some sense of control, doesn't necessarily mean that you pretend that they aren't in some ways out of control. And that may be the reality of the situation. But you can say, okay, here are the things you can do. Here are the choices that you do have. Here's the way that you can provide input to us as we think about these things. You're giving people back some ability to control their environment. Um, yeah. and, and I know when I reflect on my own life, the times that I have been most anxious and most frustrated or most upset is usually when something is going on and you feel like you have no control over that. There's nothing, yeah. there's nothing you can do. And, and so being mindful that that's sitting beneath the way people are reacting to the situation and looking for ways that you can give them some semblance of control back. I think is, is really important. Give them something they can do that's within their control. Yeah, that's exactly right. Giving them that sense of control is so powerful and incredibly empowering. It's like focusing them forward. Yeah. It's giving them a sense of purpose in terms, like yeah. you say, like a cho choices even, or yeah. just, you know, something that they can do to put their mind to. So yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm going to quote you from your, your book, um, still on the topic of crisis. So crises tend to reveal your true character and learning from a crisis will help you to become the best leader that you can be. And I think it's fair to say that at the end of your tenure of CEO of, of Westpac, that you had your own leadership crisis um, play out in a very public way. So what have you learned from that? And do you feel it's made you a better leader? Well, I was lucky in that I went through a very difficult personal situation 10 years earlier with my divorce. And I learned through that that I was actually pretty resilient and that the sun would come up the next day and you you keep going and, and things get better. So that for me was actually the crisis that prepared me for the next one. So I think you know, one thing to recognize is that all these things are learning experiences. And years ago, I had the ambition for myself that I wanted to be wise. And what I didn't realize at the time was the way you get wise is you go through pain. <laughs> and so, you know, so part of this is um, for me, okay, this is another learning experience. What an extraordinary thing to, to go through. And as you say, it was very public and very painful and very unpleasant. Um, I've spent a lot of time reflecting on the business lessons of, of what happened and, and what, what I could have done differently if I went back in, in time. I actually think the more interesting lesson that is the one thing I passed on to my children um, after this was that 
I made a decision when I became CEO that I knew there were going to be times that I was going to be tested, that I was going to be given choices where I could do what maybe helped me or protected me personally or my career or my reputation, or I could take a risk and do what I thought was right for the organization, for its people, for its customers. And I made a decision that whenever I faced a choice like that, I was not going to worry about what it meant for me. I was going to worry about what was right for the company. And I was just going to trust that, you know, that would be the right thing to do ultimately. And the interesting thing is that because I did that, when it did all play out the way it did and I, and I had to leave, I left with no regrets. So I'm very much at peace with the way that I behaved, the way that I treated people, the decisions that I made. And I'm, so I'm not living with regret. I regret what happened at Westpac and I wish I could get in a time machine and go back and make a couple of changes. If I'd known about them, obviously I would have done that, but I'm not sitting here thinking, Oh gosh, I wish I hadn't made that decision or I wish I hadn't made that choice. And the, the result of that is that I have a clear conscience and I, cannot imagine how horrible it would feel to live with regret of having compromised my values or, or done something in my own interests versus in the organization's interests. And, you know, life is chaotic. When you're in a big role, you, you've got this spotlight, you've got, you can't control what the politicians are going to do. You can't control lots of things. Mm -hmm. You can't control what 40,000 people are going to do all day. Um, so you live with this this uncertainty that you, you aren't totally in control, but you are in control of your own choices and you are in control of, of your values and, and the way you live your life. I, I can honestly say as someone who went through an incredibly searing experience, thank goodness I didn't compromise on any of those things. Cause there easily would have, there are a couple of places where I took risks to fight battles or stand up for the company or do various things, which, put me at risk. If they had gone wrong, you know, it could have been really, really bad for me. And, and so I could have made the choice not to do certain things to, in order to protect myself and not take personal risk. But I would, I would then feel that I'd be living with, with deep regret and I couldn't, I couldn't undo it. And so that sounds like such a kind of kindergarten lesson, but having lived it and knowing how business life presents you with these choices about do you do something for yourself or do you do something for the organization, I just feel like that is one thing I would really reinforce to people is not to compromise on your values because living with regret would be horrific. And and v happily for me, I'm not living with regret in that, yeah. in that way. I mean, this you know, I've made lots of mistakes. There's lots of things I wish I could undo, but, but, n but not the kind of mistakes where I am ashamed. You know, I'm not yeah. ashamed of anything that I did. And so that has made the experience a lot easier. Mm. Gosh, thank you so much for being so honest with your response to that, because there is such wisdom in what you just said. And I think there is real power just with how considered and how intentional you are with your leadership, which, as you said, 
meant that you didn't compromise on your values and therefore you have no regrets in terms of how you behaved. So um, I think there is just incredible wisdom in what you just shared and um, I think a lot of people will take something away from that. So thank you for sharing. Thank you. Pleasure. What is next for Brian? Well, I'm still working that out. I'm, I'm involved with a number of startups um, doing mentoring and a bit of angel investing. Really enjoying that. I think it's it's such an exciting yep. time in the world with the impact that technology is is having. And uh, mm. so I'm, I'm really enjoying that. Uh, I'm doing a bit of consulting, uh, working with some uh, former colleagues on a startup of my own, which may or may not see the light of day. Um, that's a bit of fun. Um, and uh, I'm an advisor to Quantium, which is a data science company that's incredibly impressive. And and then on a personal level, I have gotten involved in the Australian Museum. And uh, I'm the chairman of the foundation for the Australian Museum. And if your listeners haven't been to the Australian Museum in Sydney recently, they they ought to go. There's just been an amazing renovation and um, it, it looks fantastic. It's a really wonderful place to visit. And um, it's actually a really interesting institution because it has over 100 scientists who are working on earth science, life science, and culture, particularly First Nations, indigenous culture, and um, doing genuine projects that are making an impact on issues that people, everybody cares about, like Australian wildlife and climate change and yeah. indigenous reconciliation and, and all the things people talk about are actually being worked on at the Australian Museum. So I'm, I'm really enjoying the opportunity to contribute there and uh, encourage all of your listeners to go and have a look because it's it's pretty special. Fantastic! I'll have to check it out. I'm up in Sydney in a couple of weeks. I'll have to take some time yeah, and go visit. On the corner, it's right at Hyde Park on the corner of William Street and College Street, and it looks fantastic. And probably a lot of your listeners went as kids yep. and remember a kind of big old dusty place. Well, it's changed dramatically now. And as I say, they're doing a lot of work. I like to say that museum is actually about the future, not about the past, and and learn from the past and and help us build a better future. And if I sound enthusiastic, it's because I am. It's it's a really, really exciting place to, to go and check out. And I think anyone who has a look will really enjoy it. Fantastic. Oh, it sounds like you've got lots of exciting things going on. Yeah, it's, it's fun. I mean, one of the great things about having more time is I'm able to spend my time on things that I find genuinely interesting. Yeah. And, uh, and there's a lot of interesting things going on in the world. So I'm having fun. <laughs> Good stuff. And that's, a, that's what we should be doing. Now, I'm assuming that people can get hold of um, your book in all good bookstores and... Yes, yes. Please buy the book. Please tell your friends. Um, and uh, you can, obviously, you can buy it online at Amazon and Booktopia and all those good places. Um, my one other little suggestion would be if people are running uh, a team, um, one of the things, um, it's a, this will sound self-serving, but it's actually true. I've noticed that when everybody in a team reads the book, yeah. it gives them a common language to hold each other to account. And so I've written the book for an individual leader. This is what you as an individual should do or, or hopefully will find helpful. But I've also noticed that when you get a bunch of people in an organization going through that and using that framework, all of a sudden you get a kind of magical thing happening, which is everybody has the same language and the same way to hold each other to account. So I'd encourage people to not only read it themselves, but um, give it to your team as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I 100% agree with that because I believe that we're all leaders of self first before we can lead anyone else. Definitely. Um, I encourage people to do that as well. So, Brian, I've loved chatting with you and I think I could chat to you for a very long time. And I really thank you for your time. And just my final question that I like to finish on is this 
podcast is called Making It Count. So how do you feel that you are doing that in your world? Well, I've always felt that you stand on the shoulders of giants and that you should try and pay it forward. And um, the book for me is is my way of contributing to future leaders and to better leadership in um, around the world, hopefully. Um, I think we're going through an unbelievable period of time. I think we've seen lots of examples where leadership has let us down in various ways, in various venues. And I hope that um, this will give people some inspiration and some practical ideas that will lead to better leadership in all walks of life. Wonderful. It certainly will. Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. That's a pleasure. Thanks, Julie. Thanks for listening. And I hope that you have gained some great ideas and feel inspired to get out there and make what you do count for your leadership, your business, and your life. Please do leave a review for this podcast and please share it with your network. Send any feedback or suggestions for future guests by emailing me julie at juliehide.com.au. For now, let's get out there and make it count.